I want to speak this morning on a topic that may be a little bit hard, maybe for us to understand by title. But the title of this message is Holding Christ Captive. Holding Christ Captive. Captivity is something that we all fight against. No one likes to be a captive. I can remember um, when I was a dad and my kids were younger, we used to love to wrestle. And I would come home, and uh, they were uh, you know, anxious to see me, and I was anxious to see them. And we'd get on the floor, and we'd wrestle and tussle, and, and everything was great until I got them down, and I pinned them down, and they couldn't move. And all of a sudden, the panic set in. And then the screaming started, and then Chris would say, Mike, knock it off! Because, yeah, you said that, because I had them captive and, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to tell you this, but i got to tell you this story, too. I can remember when Mike and Sue first started dating. Mike is a lot older than I am. <laughs> and uh, I was, I don't know, were we in middle school? When did you guys get married? I, I can't remember. But anyway, Mike would come, and Mike would want to, we'd wrestle. Remember that? And it was always, you know, Mike was not only older, but he's bigger. And it, would, it was fun until Mike would pin me down, and I couldn't move. And I didn't like that anymore. Do you remember that? Yeah, he'd lay on us. Barney, me and Barney both. He'd get us both down. Now, that was not going to happen today, I guarantee you. But then it was, and it was no fun being held captive. It was not a fun thing. But this morning, I want to talk to you about something the Lord woke me up with on Tuesday morning, early in the morning when I got, in, at about through 2 or 3 in the morning, I woke up in a dream that I was holding Christ captive. And I didn't know what it meant. And, and actually, I woke up, and it was, you know, fuzzy now. I can't recall it all now, but it was very clear then about how I was being told that Christ is held captive in that room, and I'm holding him captive. And I thought, what does that mean? And so I, it really woke me up. And so I got up two or three times that night and was writing notes because the Lord was just telling me things about what it means to hold Christ captive. And it really bothered me that how I could hold Christ captive, and I didn't understand that. So I'm going to try to explain it to you this morning what it means to take Jesus captive and then keeping him captive in our lives. And maybe this may seem like a strange thing to say, that we can take Christ captive. But basically it's this. Basically it's inviting Christ into our life and then giving him a room in our life and then keeping him there and not giving him any other access to our life. That we come and say, God... Jesus, I welcome you as my Savior. Come into my heart. And we give him a nice, comfortable place in our heart. And then we keep him there. And we don't allow him to go into the other secret places of our life. But we keep him captive in our heart. Now, what is captivity? There's two basic elements, two basic aspects, aspects of captivity. You're either the one being taken captive or you're the one doing the capturing. But it takes two parties, at least two parties involved. It's not a difficult concept to understand. It's pretty obvious. But there's a good reason why we need to understand this this morning and determine how this applies to our spiritual life. First of all, we do know, the Scripture is clear, that we have an enemy that wants to capture us and ultimately destroy us. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. 
Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to, the, to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The devil, the enemy, is all about using foolish, stupid arguments, stupid things of this world to take as many as he can captive and to accomplish his evil will in their lives, which we know leads to death. What's the outcome of that person trapped by the devil? Well, 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So clearly his purpose is not just to capture, but it's to destroy. We have an enemy out there. I don't, think that's, I don't think there's any question about that. I think we all can appreciate the fact that we are being pursued by an evil enemy that wants to capture us and destroy us. But there's a more subtle aspect that may not be so obvious when it comes to talking about captivity. There's this aspect of captivity that comes potentially in a believer's heart a person that has accepted Christ. There is, a, there is this aspect of captivity that I may not be in taken, I may not be in, being taken by the enemy anymore, but maybe I'm being, or maybe I'm the one captivating Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today, how a professing Christian, how someone claiming to have a relationship with Jesus, how that person can actually be holding Christ captive in their heart. And here's the, here's the sad thing about it, that their ending will be no different than the one that's being held captive by Satan. If I'm guilty of holding Christ captive in my heart and not letting him ac- giving him access to all my life, I'm as guilty or I'm, I'm going to be held as accountable or I'm going to have the same consequences of someone that's being held captive by Satan. And that's the scary part. What's wrong with this, you might ask? You might ask, why? what's wrong with a person professing Christ to keep Christ in your heart? Well, turn with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's a lot of verses here. In fact, I, I'm going to ask you when you go home to read Deuteronomy, the whole chapter of chapter 11 of Deuteronomy. But I want to know what the Scripture says about loving Jesus and his involvement in our lives as a result of our choice to invite him in. What does the Bible say about this? First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with everything that's within you. Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting at verse 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. And then Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. We're to keep the requirements the decrees, the laws, and his commands. Always. That is inclusive of everything in our life. 
Reading down, skipping down to verse 8 of chapter 11. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess and so that you may live long in the land and the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. We're going to see some conditional aspects here of what it means to obey the Lord. Verse 13, so if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Verse 22, if you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you today to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the Lord the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. There's many instructions in God's word, Old and New Testament. The Old Testament, guys, is just as much for us today as the New Testament is. Understand that. The commands of the Old Testament mean just as much today as they meant then. Don't disregard the commands in the Old Testament because they're not new. God has not changed. He has not changed one iota. What he says then, he means today. So, what's the New Testament say about it? Maybe you're, maybe you're questioning that. Okay, well, let's look at Mark. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus made it very clear that we're to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength with all of our soul. You know, it's interesting here that Jesus added something to what he read in the Old Testament. He added here that we are to love the Lord with all of our mind as well. It's interesting how Jesus has the right to add to Scripture. I don't. You don't. Nor do I have the right to take away from Scripture. Jesus had the right to add. He added to what the Old Testament, to what God the Father said. Now he said, now love him with all your mind as well. That's everything, guys. We don't, have, we don't have any excuses here about how I can love the Lord partially. He made it very clear. So how does this, what do we do with this? Well, I'm here this morning to ask us all to examine our hearts on this matter and see if we're really loving God with a full heart or a partial heart. Paul instructs us in 2 Timothy chapter 13. 2 Timothy, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? 
Unless, of course, you fail the test. Paul is talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. He's saying, everybody in this church right now, test yourself. Pastor, test yourself. Sitting, people sitting in the chair, test yourself. Examine, are you in the faith? Let's pray a minute. Father, we just come to you and we just pause now. And we just ask you to bring clarity to this message. Father, that our hearts would be pricked. Our minds would be alert. Lord, that the words that are said are from you and you alone. In Jesus' name. So we, as professing Christians, are to examine our own hearts and see if we really are in the faith and allowing Christ full access to our hearts, or are we holding Christ captive in our hearts in a nice, comfortable, controllable room? Larry, would you turn on the PowerPoint, please? It's always easier to see word pictures, at least it is for me. So I've gone ahead and... uh, Come on. There it is. I've gone ahead and made a little diagram. What is that? Thank you. That's pretty good. That's a heart. That's my heart. It's your heart. And, and here, when I invite Christ into my heart, I invite him in. And we've all done it. If you are in Christ, you've, you've done it. And we've created this nice little living room for Christ. It's neat. It's comfortable. It's under control. We're very good here. We, we add some nice comfortable chairs and a couch and where we can sit with God and have some nice conversations. In fact, we might even invite others in. We might even invite friends in and say, hey, come, come with me and let's have some good conversation. We might even open up the Holy Spirit here and say, Holy Spirit, you're, you're welcome too. Since you're the one that drew me to Jesus in the first place, well, you have some access too. Why don't you come in and let the three of us sit down and have some nice conversation. And it can be very comfortable in our nice, neat little living room of our heart. But is that all there is to us? Is that all there is to our heart? Is, is that all we have? I don't think so. I think there are other rooms in our heart just like there are other rooms in our house than our living room. And these other rooms we typically don't show to guests. We typically bring people into our house and we show them our kitchen and our living room, but we typically don't give them into our bedrooms or our bathrooms. You know, first of all, they're probably not too neat if you're like me. Now, like my wife, they're clean. They're clean. But to the residents of our home, there are no such boundaries. To my children, when they come home from spring break or from college or come in, they have access to my whole house. We don't declare, no, you don't go in that room, girls and boys. No, that's, that's mom's dad. That's, no, we don't do that. We give access to them all. But to a guest, to a guest, we have boundaries. The question is, is Jesus a guest or is he a resident in our life? Did you invite him in as a guest and say, Jesus, come in, come into the living room, but stay there because I've got some other things in the other rooms I don't want you to see. Are we holding him captive? We've said the prayers. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We've prayed the prayers and we believe and we've indeed invited Christ into our, ho- into our house. The question is though, what have you done with him since that day? What have you done with him since the day you invited him in? 
have you given him full residence or is he a guest? Now, this is where Satan will want you to stop listening to the rest of the message. Just so you know right now. Your mind may be getting distracted now. You may be shutting me out. This is where Satan wants you to stop hearing. I'm going to ask you to keep listening. Because if all we've done is invited Jesus into our hearts and then we're holding him captive as a guest and we're not giving him to the control of our hearts that he can go anywhere in our life, then we're really not being a Christian man or a Christian woman. And we know that this is where so many Christians live today. Jesus was invited in one day and ever since then, he's been held captive in the living room. There are other rooms in our heart. The question is, are we giving Christ and the Holy Spirit access to him? See, it's nice and neat right now. It's nice and controllable. We, we, we experienced a little bit today some of the messiness when the Holy Spirit gets involved. It got a little wild in our, church, in our, in our song service today. Andrea got a little wild. The Holy Spirit kind of took residence there. It kind of, maybe, maybe for some of you, it upsets you a little bit. You might say, I don't like that. I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. What are some of these other rooms? There's the work room. You know, this is the place where we're employed at. We spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week in this room. Do the people that you work with, do they know that Christ lives in your heart by the way you act on the job? Do the people that you rub shoulders with every day, you spend more time at work than you spend at home most of the time, waking hours. Are you inviting Jesus into your workroom? What about the schoolroom, kids? Same question. Are we, do our friends and our peers see us? Is Christ invited to school with us? What about the social room? the relationship room. Who are we bringing into our inner circle? Who are those confidants that we bring into that we spend time with? Who are the people that we spend most of our time with? We mentioned it in the Sunday school today. Birds of a feather flock together, right? We talked about that, about that we, we associate with those that we're comfortable with. Well, when you're on your social time, who are you spending most time with? And I'm not saying that you, we don't spend time in the world because we do spend time in the world. But we go there not to be of the world. We go there to be a light in the world. Jesus was really good at that. Jesus could have dinner with everybody. He could eat with the publicans and the sinners and the tax collectors and the drunkards. And here's the deal, but Jesus never got dirty. He ate with them. He, he associated with them. But he was always a light. They were always looking up to where he was at. They never had to look down. They never had to look down to find Jesus because Jesus never got down into dirty stuff. We can too, folks. You can too. In fact, you're called. We're called to be that. So in the social world where we're at, we're, we're needing to be Christ because sometimes, in fact, most of the time, maybe we're the only Christ they see. Is it consistent? Is Jesus with you there? What about the family room? This is where we bring Christ into our marriages and into raising our children. And I've got to tell you, from what I observe in this world today of so many, in the fruit of so many so-called Christian families, it seems that Jesus really is included there very, very much. I'm not so sure that Jesus really is in the home of Christians 
from what I see. It's sad how many Christians don't really include Jesus and the Holy Spirit access to the family room. Parents, is Jesus an obvious member of the family? Do they know clearly that Jesus is in control of your life? Spouses, are we asking, are we treating, are we, are we speaking to each other with the respect that love and the love that Christ would? Or do we find that to be a little different? What about the personal time room? This is where we go when we just need some personal time. I need to just chill. I'm going to go daydream a little bit. I'm going to have, I need some quiet solitude. Maybe we feel that we're deserving of an indulgence of some type that may not be Christ-like, but it sure makes me feel good for the moment. The old saying is true, an idle mind is a devil's workshop. If I'm not keeping Christ in my personal time, what am I doing? Who, who am I inviting into that time? How many times do we get ourselves into trouble because we spend too much time alone and separate from the presence of God and from godly people? See, it's easy to make excuses not to get up on Sunday morning and go to church. It's easy to say, I'm not going to Bible study tonight. I've got other things planned. It's easy to say, oh, I'm not feeling good right now. But, you know, can I just say, if you're not feeling good, where's the best place to be? At the hospital. If you're not feeling good spiritually, where's the best place to be? In church. Why do we buy into the lies of the devil to say, when I'm not feeling good, I'm not going to go to church? Where does that come from? Where is that in Scripture? Where is that anywhere? I'm not feeling good right now, so I'm not going to go with the guys that are going to Bible study. I'm going to keep myself apart. Well, can I tell you that when you're doing that, you're allowing yourselves to be taken captive by the enemy? What about the media room? This is where we watch TV and movies and read our books and our magazines. I have a confession to make here. <laughs> I, I didn't do anything that bad. But let me tell you, I was sitting in the waiting room up at the hospital, and I was um, playing my spider solitaire game on my iPhone. And, uh, and I do that every once in a while. And, and while we were sitting there, I did, the, I did the silly thing by looking at the stats. And the stats is, tells you how many games you played, how many you've lost, and all that good stuff. Well, and it also told me how, many time, how, how long I've been on that. Do you know that I played Spider Solitaire for 11 hours? <laughs> 11 hours. Now, that's not in the last week, by, by the way. But that is over the sense, or probably over a year or so. I don't know, maybe two years since I started playing it. But I looked at that and it made me realize, Mike, how much time am I wasting playing this stupid game? Now, most of the time I'm playing it when I'm waiting for Chris when we're shopping. Most of the time, she's shopping, and I'm sitting in the store playing spider t solitaire or, or waiting other places where it's kind of brainless. But you know what? I could very well be on my Bible app reading some Bible. I could very well be someplace else reading another book. I could very well put my mind to something more active. Now, I'm not saying it's not okay to chill. And I'm going to keep playing it, but, but when I play it from now on, I'm going to ask the Lord if it's okay. Can I play a little solitaire? In fact, why don't you play with me? Then we can win every game. <laughs> but I'm just saying that, that sometimes we just waste a lot of time in the media room by watching stuff we shouldn't be watching and reading stuff we shouldn't be reading. What about the hobby room? 
This is an important room in our hearts. This is where we spend our free time that we deserve because we work so hard during the week and we need to have our hobbies. Yeah, but invite Jesus with you. If you're going to go golfing, fine, go golfing. But don't cuss and swear in a golf course when you make a bad shot. You know, treat, pretend Jesus is golfing with you. And be a good example to those guys you're golfing with. Or if you're going on a boat ride or whatever you do. I'm not saying hobbies are bad. Just make sure we include Christ in the middle of the hobby. What about the recreation room? Same type of thing here. You know, this is, what, this is, this is really comes on, on, on weekends and holidays. That, and, you know, we're coming into the summer season now. And we know that in, in northern Michigan, summers are short. And we play hard in the summertime. And, you know, we play hard, and that means church probably doesn't rate up there as much in the summertime because we're playing so hard. My grandpa, Way, wrote a book, or a poem in his book, June, July, and August. And uh, I should, Dick, can you recite it? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. I, I, and, I've, and I've read that poem before in our church in Brighton when I was down there. Um, June, July, and August. That's where we play because they closed church down even then in the 1943 or whatever he wrote it. It was a problem then, so it's as much of a problem now. Lois? Did you? You're coming into that season, aren't you? You're getting ready, aren't you? <laughs> June, July, and August. Too busy, God. Come on now. What about habits? What about the habit room? Do we have any life-controlling habits we just don't want Jesus to see? Are we keeping him out of those things that we just really don't think he needs to be a part of? I'm going to let you deal with that one. Let's get to the better ones. How about the prayer room? We've been talking over the past few weeks about the personal tent of meeting, about how important it was that Moses would go out in the middle of the desert when they were setting up the tents and he would go outside of the camp and set up a personal tent of meeting where he would specifically go to meet with God. And we were talking about how important it is that we have a personal tent of meeting. Are you inviting Jesus to that? Sometimes we go there and maybe we don't take it real serious. I don't know. But I think if we were to realize that we're going to meet Jesus there, we might let that influence us a little bit how, how long we stay there. And we might even ask the Holy Spirit, what's the purpose of being there? Yeah, interesting. How about the Bible study room? This is where we go in and reread re the Word. You know, it's so important that you read your Bible. It's so important that you and the Holy Spirit read your Bible together. Because when you read the Bible with the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? the Holy Spirit drops revealed knowledge into your mind. It's the revealed knowledge that comes through the reading of the Word that you read that makes the difference for your life, more than just listening to the pastor or reading a book or listening to a Bible teacher. When you read the Bible for yourself and you ask the Holy Spirit to make it alive, it pops off the pages, and all of a sudden it becomes new, it becomes life. The Bible study room is an important room to ask Jesus to be with you there. And then the life application room. This is the room that you are going to in a few minutes. When church is over and you walk outside, you're going to go to the life application room. That's where you're going to choose to either remember what we talked about today or forget it. It's easy to walk out of church and forget anything that was ever said and done. 
I know, I've been there. Remember, I've been sitting in your seat a lot longer than I've been up here. I know what I'm talking about when it comes to the life application room. I know how easy it is to say, great message, pastor, and then walk out and never apply it. What good is it? What good is it if you come up and have a great emotional time at the altar and then go out and forget about everything you just heard? There's so much commotion in the emotion that it, it, we're not inviting Christ into that. We're holding him captive because we're so emotionally based. And Pentecostal churches, we're guilty of that. We're guilty of being so emotionally based that we're keeping Christ captive in our emotions. No, we need to be like the Baptist. The good Bible Baptist that reads the Bible, you know, we need that. You combine a Baptist man with a Holy Spirit-filled Pentecostal man, and you know what you got? You got a powerful man. Because you got a man that knows the Word of God and has the experience of the Holy Spirit, and you got power there, and you got an unstoppable force there because the devil has no way to combat that. When a man walks and talks and speaks in the truth of God's Word with the power of the Holy Spirit, amen, he's got something. He's got something nothing can contain. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. What are the other rooms? Now, you may have some spare rooms as well, and I don't know what those, all those other rooms are, but I, but I think you get the point. I think you get the point. That are we keeping Jesus captive to the living room where we can control him? And we can make it our experience with him, our personal, private, oh, religion, it's so personal. Don't talk to me about your religion. It's so personal. No, it's not. See, this looks a little bit messy, doesn't it? That's a pretty messy heart. But this is what's required of us. Quite honestly, if you're going to be used of God and if you're going to be pleasing to the Lord, according to Psalms chapter 51, verse 17, David said, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise that. God is not looking for the heart that's in control. God is not looking for the heart that has Jesus captive. He's looking for the heart that's messy. He's looking for the heart that, is got, that Jesus has is, is, is got fingers all the way through the heart and it looks messy, it's broken, it's contrite. That's the heart that pleases the Lord. Go back sometime later today and read chapter 51 of Psalms. The 51st Psalm, that is the psalm that David cried out after he, was, after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet about sin, about Bathsheba, and about his adultery, and about the murder. This is David's cry. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. You can hear the cry of a man here that's broken before the Lord and his heart is messy. Today, we have access to the Holy Spirit today. It's got to break us. We have to understand that we must be broken by the Lord and we must allow Him to, 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 we must allow him access of all of our life. Because there's coming a day, folks, there's coming a day very soon that we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Romans chapter 14, verse 11. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. 
At that time, God is going to look to you specifically and say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the Holy Spirit? What did you do with him? Did you keep him captive in your heart or did you give him access? See, this is where we need to continue to look at the harder parts of Scripture that we don't like to read. There are some parts of Scripture that I like to read and there's some that I don't like to read. This is one that really will bring us to our knees. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If that doesn't put a little fear in your heart, uh, then I'm not sure you're hearing what, I'm, what I've just read. Understand, this passage is not written to those that are held captive by Satan. This passage is written to the church. This passage is written to every one of us that, have, that, that proclaims we have Christ in our heart. This is written to people that claim to have a relationship with Jesus, but they're holding him captive. Now, maybe this is a hard passage to understand. How could a man be used of God, but not be known of God? I've often wondered about that. But here's, here's an answer, I think, to this. Understand this, that the power of God, where it says that, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? How can God work through a man like that and that man not know God? Well, understand the power of God's truth and his promises are not dependent upon the man proclaiming them. If it, was, if it was, then there wouldn't be a whole lot getting, getting done on this earth through men. Understand that God is sovereign. God is free to accomplish everything he promises regardless who speaks it. As long as that man is speaking the truth of God's word according to the promises of God, God has the power to use that. He spoke through a donkey to Balaam. If he can speak through a donkey, he can certainly speak through me. That doesn't mean I know God. And here's the beautiful thing about it. When you come up here to be prayed for, it's not about the pastor. It's about you receiving the promises of God's word. You can receive the promises of God's word whether I'm walking in it or not. That's really freeing to hear that, guys. Because we're not dependent upon a man. You're not dependent upon me living righteously, even though that's God's will. God's will is that every man that proclaims God's word would be a righteous believer and so he wouldn't be a stumbling block to the world. But it's not dependent upon that. I can, I can share God's truth. I can read God's word. But that doesn't mean that I'm living it. But you, God can still use it in your life. That's, where, that's why it's dangerous for me because all of a sudden if I start getting prideful, say, well, look at all these people have been healed in the service. Look at all this. That means nothing to me. It doesn't give me credit. It doesn't give you credit. See, a broken and contrite heart that's usable by God is messy, and it can be very seemingly out of control. We need to take the risk of moving when we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to pray with someone or to take an aggressive action in faith. This might include taking some risks. This might include maybe being embarrassed for Christ. This might include maybe being rejected 
for Christ. This might require some time and effort that we were saving for ourselves. But because I see someone in need and I'm allowing Christ into that heart area of my heart that is going to help people, I need to listen. I need to do. I need to be a willing. I need to be willing to serve and, and humble my position to people that may be of lower social stature. The point is, the point is, according to James 2, verse 17, faith without action is dead. Faith without action is dead. It produces no fruit now or eternally. So if I'm not taking action, if I'm not allowing the Lord access to my heart and then taking action when he tells me to move, I'm not doing the will of the Father. Jackie, if you'd come. See, the purpose of this message and any message that we speak is to create an opportunity for all of us to examine our hearts. I don't know your heart. I, I don't know where you're at. I, I'm just aware of my own. Then the reality of a message like this and others is to make us realize that even in our organized and very collected Christian life, we can be on the same road to destruction as the man that is held captive by Christ in his sin. Understand that, how important that is, that we have to allow ourselves to allow Christ to take up residence. You know, the old saying is true. If the Lord isn't Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. It's true. There is no such thing as a partial loving of the Lord. This is a full delegate state. <laughs> there are no partial delegates given out here. This is an all or nothing relationship. You can have that kind of a heart, very neat, very controlled, very contained, very organized. And that heart can be going to hell because I haven't given all of it. There are no partial heart-loving lovers here that are making it into the kingdom of God. When you read Deuteronomy 11, love the Lord with all your heart. That's that kind of a heart. It's a messy heart. It's a heart that's willing to give it all, to risk it all. Put away the formal aspect of religion and say, Father, I'm in this. I'm in it. And I'm willing to risk in it. And I'm willing to be sloppy for you if I have to be. So this morning, I just want to encourage you. What's your mindset? Where are you this morning? Are you inviting Jesus in all aspects of your heart? You have, this is your choice. This is your choice. It's not the commotion of the emotion here. I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for a big altar service this morning. That's not what I'm about. I'm about bringing a word of God that makes us think, makes us evaluate, makes us test. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come before you. And Lord, we're just examining our heart. And we're just saying, Father, break down the barriers. If I've contained you in my living room, Father, would you break down the walls of my heart and that I could give you access to every room, every room, 
that I'm not containing you in this special one where I can control you and I can keep you the way I want to keep you and I want to look this way in front of people. If I'm doing that, Lord, I'm not making you Lord of all. I'm making you Lord of the living room. And that's not enough, according to your word. That's what your word says. So, Father, I pray that you would just deal with each and one of us this morning. We open our hearts up to you, Father. We're willing to risk. We're willing to risk what it means to really serve you and to really live for you and to be really one of those that day that hears the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful. Well done. Well done. You gave it all. You were messy for me. You risked for me. You didn't try to contain me. You didn't hold me captive. Help us with this, I pray. In Jesus' name. Now, as always, I would open the altars for those that want to come up and pray. We're going to sing the song that Jackie's playing. If you need to go, it's 12.02. You're welcome to go. But if you want to spend some time here for a minute and just say, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. The altars are open. Jackie, would you sing, please? we just give you this day we give you our hearts Lord and I pray that this message would sink deep in all of us that we would go throughout this week and we would keep you at the heart of all of us that we would allow you full access take residence take residence and move within us I pray in Jesus name